All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I am your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm coming to you live on tape delay on Thanksgiving Eve Eve. And back for the first time this season, I know a fan favorite Kente Corner listeners everywhere, Nationwide Nolan. Nolan, what's up, man? Going well. Um, are you staying up for the 1130 tip-off? Of course. I don't know. I'm hopeful I can make it. We'll see. Yeah, we're still, you know, over here at Kente Corner headquarters, we're still, you know, have a very small individual on the premises and, <laughs> you know, sleep is kind of sporadic well, at times. So we could have all been in what well, was Orlando, right? Orlando, Florida for the uh, the other tournament, which uh, unfortunately did not come through. I can't. I thought of that today because I actually have rare vacation plan like in January. That's mm-hmm. going to make me miss some games and I never miss games. Although I missed the last game. I think I've only missed like five home games, like since I graduated college, which is 20 years ago. Um, if I had gone to Orlando for the tournament that we thought was going to happen, there's no way we would have as a family gone on this trip in January. And hence just one thing leads to another. And I really want to go to Orlando, but Georgetown does have, you know, some good games coming up. But since we haven't spoken for a while, let's rewind. And there hasn't been a Kente Corner since we had to do an emergency podcast. Marcus luckily was able to join me on site at Capital One Arena after the first game. Things have gotten better since then. So Georgetown obviously is 2-1. and one. They recovered from the Dartmouth loss, and they have beaten American and Siena. Now, 2-1, and one, probably not the record anybody wanted heading into the Wooden where they're going to face San Diego State. Hopefully, fingers crossed, USC. What's your take on the way the season has started? And if I told you 2-1, and one, Dartmouth would have been the last team you assumed gave them the one, right? I think so. When you factor in, they hadn't played in 18 months. Boston <laughs> yeah. College, who was not good, yeah. handled them pretty easily. Um. Not a great start, and even the first 25 minutes, if you want to say, of American did not look promising, but then the last 40 minutes of Siena plus the finish of American game, it's you see glimmers of hope and some progress. Um, so it's, it could have been better, but certainly after the, you know, halfway through the American game, I'm, I'm pleased with the way they came out of that stretch. Yeah, and that's why, you you know, usually in the NFL, which I cover a little bit, the home games, you always say anybody can beat anybody, and you never know as the season goes on. For instance, Washington's playing Seattle this week where the season started, you're penciling that in as, a, as an L. But, you know, then the season gets played out, and, you know, Seahawks are kind of reeling. You know, same thing with the college basketball with Siena. You know, they're the kind of mid-major. They were pretty much, in my opinion, the only mid-major that you kind of looked at cross-eyed a little bit and thought – they could be like, you know, mid 100, you know, like like a 150, and they could give you some problems. They've had a couple really good seasons recently. Basically, Iona has given them problems in the MAC, and that would have been the game where you're like, hey, you know, Siena, unfortunately for the Saints, is in a really bad spot, but it was really good for Georgetown because I think they needed that kind of game, and Caden Rice in particular. So we know what's happened in the first three games. Tell me something that has surprised you and something that you kind of were expecting and you feel you feel good about. Well, for what I was expecting that I feel good about, I think you have the makings of an offense that can 
do some pretty good things, especially with their shooting ability when you take the duo of Rice and Carey, which yeah. was really on display in the Sienna game. Uh, my whole thing this year was play fast, have those guys let it fly from three. Um, and without, you know, the traditional center we've had here for the last, you know, I guess you could almost go back to the early days of, of Jesse where we had a post presence to really feature that less which they have. Um, there's been far less post-ups, so the offense has tilted a little bit more towards the perimeter guys, which I'm happy with. Um, you, what was your first half of your question? What am I disappointed with? Uh, that, I mean, you could you could take it that way, but what's kind of surprised you? Just I mean, it's only been three games, but like, what's sort of surprised you, if, if anything? I don't know if there's a ton that's been a surprise. Um, I mean, Dartmouth game, notwithstanding i mean that took everybody by surprise the start of that game to get in a what was it a 22 point hole um yeah. late first half yeah i would say the thing that was alarming from that game was the play of dante harris who maybe just first game he's really the leading guy back maybe he felt there was too much on his plate he had to step up and be the man um and it was talked about on the internet maybe his jump shot looked different but it's been nice to see him really come back to form and he's had a strong game against American. And then he, I thought he looked like we expected him to look against Sienna. So I think for me, and also I think we might've just set a Georgetown podcast. There's definitely a couple of them now guys at Thompson's towel. Um, I think it's the newest edition, which is great. I think we've just set the Georgetown podcast record for the longest time talking without mentioning Aminu Muhammad. Right. And <laughs> I think what I think what I would say is that without seeing him a lot and just sort of, you know, maybe it's just the way that I view sports, you know, a little bit concerned, like, is it going to be as good as his five star and what you expect a five star to be? I think he's definitely he's he fits like it's like, yep, I see it. Mm-hmm. OK, he's the guy. Um, one thing I am a little surprised about is both him and Dante Harris are kind of on a. James Akinjo like path of shooting under 40% from two, but I will mm. say in a, in a, in a, in a good way, Dante's three is hitting at a better clip than I would have thought. And I think Aminu's shot, which was probably the one thing that was of maybe a concern or a question mark, his shot looks better than either I was told or I expected. So I think that's kind of what it is for me. I would agree with that. I think he's been as advertised and, the jump shot, I think, has been encouraging um, already to knock down three threes, three games in. He did miss some free throws, but I think just mechanically, the jump shot looks fine. Um, we'll see how he goes, especially Thursday night, where he can kind of barrel into the lane against these lesser opponents and get away with it for the most part. But it, it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts as the season goes on. Which leads me into the next part and this is kind of they all kind of build upon each other hopefully here so patrick's going with a 10-man rotation right now we haven't seen kobe clark hamstring colin holloway foot surgery we don't know when the surgery happened we don't really know how long he was out um i will say that holloway last year of the freshman even jabari sibley who ended up leaving who's at utep he was their highest rated recruit um, Holloway was the guy at the end of the year as Ewing um, 
as Ewing, you know, shortened his bench in postseason play, you know, during that run they had post COVID, Collins seemed like the player that when there was an issue with, you know, the guys, Pickett, Belay, Wahab, uh, Colin was the guy that was, you know, got tapped on the shoulder to go in there and, you know, Patrick obviously trusted him. So what are your expectations for Kobe and for Colin? And yeah, let, let's just, let's just start there. I personally would like to see more of Kobe Clark. I still refer back to that first game last year against UMBC where I believe he was the second either the second or third sub off the bench, and he played 12 minutes. Um, and then he got some run in the Navy game. And then did he get hurt in that Navy game, his ankle? It was, yeah. Maybe that was later on. He got hurt but at some that, point, yeah. Okay. That told me that they at least had seen something over the offseason in practice to throw him out there that early. And I really liked his profile coming into college. Um, just a really hard-playing guy, would rebound, defend. Um, and had some upside to him. So I would like to see him kind of get an audition. I don't know whose minutes he'd really take from, which with um, Colin Holloway, I think it's pretty obvious he's going to eat into some of Billingsley's minutes, who I like, you know, long-term, but it has been a struggle for him so far. Uh, I think defensively he's really been lost at times, and they seem to have given him a lot of freedom. Like they don't mind him handling the ball a little bit, which has been shaky. Um, he's turned it over quite a bit. So I would think Holloway's just a little bit more of a stabilizing force at that four spot, which, like you said, they threw him out there last year in some key spots, that Villanova game especially. Yeah. And that's another thing. It makes you have to think, okay, they've seen something in practice where they believe he's reliable um, that would make me think as a sophomore he would be further ahead just as a steady hand out there compared to, to Billingsley. Yeah, I think Kobe Clark has had one of the more mysterious, obviously the whole season last year for everyone was mysterious just because of, you know, we didn't get to go to the games until at the end, you know, the NCAA tournament. And maybe there were some road games that, you know, people were allowed to go to, but nothing home. And, you know, the freshmen didn't really get a chance to know them. But, you know, first game, UMBC, which, you know, because they had knocked off UVA in that last time, you know, there was, you know, there was a tournament or, you know, two tournaments before that, you kind of get a little bit of worried and he comes out 12 minutes, 10 points, or I'm sorry, 12 minutes, 10 rebounds, four on the offensive glass. You're like, wow, this is, this is good. This is really good. And then we never really saw him again. He, he, he never played more than 10 minutes in a game. He got the one random start against Marquette, which is, you know, Okay, yeah. well, what happened there? But he barely played. And I think I asked Patrick after that game, it was just like, so you started Kobe Clark. What did you like? And what <laughs> maybe didn't you see in that game that you gave him more minutes? And, you know, Patrick just says things like, well, it's just coach's decision. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I don't really know what to make of Kobe Clark, but I definitely think we're going to see Colin Holloway. And that kind of leads me. I know we had some great Twitter questions. We'll we'll get to them individually, but this one kind of just comes up organically. When you look at who's doing what this season, you know you can't play 10 guys. I mean, if you can remember all the way back to, you know, the year of the Exodus, Javon Blair was the 11th guy. And yeah. he got frozen out, I think, when they were up in New York. I, I, might, I think he got frozen out of one of those games. Uh, it might have been the Texas game or maybe it was Duke. But anyway, so... 
you can't play 11 guys. You can, you can barely play 10. So mm-hmm. let me try and tell you how I think they might get there. I think right off the bat, you can't play three centers. You just, you yeah. just can't. Okay. Like I, you know, so one of the center minutes goes away and then that gets kind of absorbed by Billingsley or maybe Holloway. Right. And that that's gotta be the way. And then if, so if Clark gets in your rotation, I mean, I, I would think the most likely the minutes that would go down the most likely is some, some combination of, even though it's not like for like is, you know, Beard or Riley is my guess, right? Because, I mean, look, Kerry's going to mm-hmm. play, Muhammad's going to play, Harris and Rice are all going to play. You know, Ego FA, and I'm assuming Wilson's the one that gets squeezed out there. Matumbo's going to get some minute. You know what I mean? So, you, you just, for as much as message boards and Twitter conversations, oh, I want to have 13 guys play, we're going to press all game. We haven't seen mm-hmm. any evidence that that's going to be a thing, right? So, that's how I get to where I think they're going to go. What's your best guess for where the minutes kind of get divvied up and who ends up losing them. I agree on the three centers. I, I don't think that's realistic. I feel like if you're throwing three centers out there each game, you're just kind of doing it on a whim with no real plan or structure. It's interesting. Um, if you look analytically, Hooplens is a, is a good site that does, you know, points per possession differentials individually. And what's interesting there is, Ryan Matumbo leads the entire team um, in plus minus on the floor. Now it's small sample size. Yeah. But the person who's dead last on the team is Malcolm Wilson. So, you know, not to make too much out of that sample, but in the American game and even in the Dartmouth game, when they made their runs, Ryan was the one on the floor. Um, And just to me, I just want to see, him get a chance because he eventually is going to be the center of the future um and he's a big body he out of the three centers i think it'd be safe to say he probably has the most offensive skill um and i think with malcolm it's just a little bit of an adventure out there right now so i would lean that way um and then the other parts it's it's hard to see i mean they do seem to be high in Billingsley, but Holloway's got even to those. I, unfortunately, as much as I'd like to see him get a chance, it feels like Kobe Clark is going to be an odd man out. Okay. Um, yeah. But other than that, I, I can't really pick anybody else who's who's going to get squeezed. Yeah, it, it's hard to read a lot into what Patrick says just because he doesn't really you know, give you a lot of stuff, which is his style. And he said all the right things that you, you know, you were out there listening that you, you, you'd want to hear him say, you know, Kobe and Colin are going to contribute. They're going to be a big part of our team. You know, they've, they've been here. They know what, they know what to expect, which is all those things are absolutely true. It is just, it's hard not to be a little cynical and being just wondering if, if he actually means that, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. one thing to say it. And we'll, you know, at some point we're going to get a chance, you know, at some point the hamstring is going to heal and he's going to, he's going to be healthy. He's going to dress and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But I, yeah, I think with Wilson, it's not like for like, but I want to say that when he's out there, it's almost a little bit like Lubick now completely different. Cause I think Lubick was solid there that you don't really have to guard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
you know, Nate could hurt you passing. And that's obviously why he ended up at Georgetown with the kind of offense that they played. But I do think you get some of that four guys on offense situation. And Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Matumbo. I think obviously Dikembe's at the games. That's cool. Although Dikembe's never really, you know, gone away. Like he's, he'll sporadically be there, but now we're obviously going to see him a whole, a whole heck of a lot. I'm not saying this is, you know, like for like either, but I, I see, I see some Roy Hibbert in him in that he's huge. And when mm-hmm. I watch him get up and down the court, you know, I think it's going to be fun to watch Ryan Matumbo, you know, fingers crossed, he stays all four years and gets better. You know what I mean? But I, I think that, I think the fans are really going to enjoy because he's got such a personality. He's obviously the legacy I think you can see, you mentioned the Dartmouth game. He was a big part of the, like the, the, when they came back and then they ran out of gas. I think when you look at him, you're like, wow, that's a player that I've been wrong about stuff and I'll be wrong again, but I think Ryan's going to improve. And I think he's just going to mm-hmm. become a ridiculous fan favorite. As somebody who's seen this team live and seen him up close, do you believe that he's actually seven two? Yeah. He's, he's enormous. Really? Yeah. That is interesting. I mean, I mean, maybe he had a growth spurt just recently in the past year. I mean, from six eleven to seven two, you know, is it? It's just a monumental difference um, in that sport. It's, it's it uh, is. I mean, if he's not seven two, he's yeah. I'm sorry. If, if he's not seven two, he's seven one. Like he yeah. is enormous, and, and you know, I, I don't. I think Roy was a really skilled offensive player. So that's mm-hmm. a lot to ask for him to be like Roy Hibbert. I mean, we're, you know, obviously, you know, the NBA is different now and a guy like Roy Hibbert wouldn't be drafted, you know, 18th or whatever he was. I think he was 18th, something like that. But uh, I think you could see it that, you know, Roy had to get in better shape for the college game. And I think Ryan's in better shape than him. But just like yeah. I said, there's a couple of possession, uh, possessions where I'm sitting at half court and I'm just, I'm just like, you know what, Marcus, just, just watch Ryan get up and down. And, you know, you could see, you, you could see he's not, you know, he's a freshman. He's played three games. He's not a finished product, but you can just imagine what he will be like when he becomes a finished product. And there's been a couple of times, I don't know how many points he has yet. What has he got? He's, he's average. So he's like three and a half a game. He's scored about nine points, 10, 10 points, um, where he had like a putback and he didn't dunk it. And I think we're going to get to the point where, those are dunks. Like those are, you know, mm-hmm. just yeah. get out of this dude's way. This is a problem. So I think that's probably going to be one of the more fun things about the next couple of years is watching Ryan, who he's already, I think, you know, he's been such a great voice on social media and all that kind of stuff. I think it'll be really, really uh, interesting. So yeah, we don't, we don't know. I mean, even Colin Holloway, you know, dressed and warmed up and then, yeah. you know, and he wasn't available during the game. So I would think during this tournament, my guess is if he dressed and warmed up that he's close enough to where I think, I think we'll see him against either San Diego state and or St. Joe's Mm -hmm. USC. And I I think, I think once we see him, then we'll have a better feel for who this team actually is. Yeah. It's a, and the uh, thing with Ryan, by all accounts, is he's a worker, which we know that's what made the difference with Roy. Um, when you have one of those big kids who who works at it, you know, that's it really can un- untap some potential for sure. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's it's a fun thing, and you know, he came in a fan favorite, but I think he's gonna 
think he's going to end When's up being that. When's the last that... time, I mean, I forget, maybe it was the Dartmouth game where he, it might have been an N one, and he got the crowd into it. And yeah. I was trying to think of the last Georgetown player who was capable of, of actually getting fans out of their seat um, in that manner. Jabril? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, no, I mean, I guess, you know, Jagan. Yeah, but I just mean, like, actually, like, demonstrative towards the crowd. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if you caught it uh, on a replay on TV, but he was, I mean, it was almost like that's what he was going for. He knew we need some life in this building, and I'm going to try to get you out of your seat. Yeah, well. Which was, uh, it was refreshing to see from, from someone on the team. Forget if I mentioned this to you. But, oh no, this was on the podcast I think I did with Marcus after the game. Looking back, I guess it's not too surprising the way that the Dartmouth game went, given something we've seen. Is there any game that you, and I've probably already said my answer out loud, is there any game that that kind of reminds you of? The Dartmouth game? Yeah. As far as past seasons? Yeah, um... just, I, I guess, and I'll give you a little hint of where I'm going it doesn't necessarily have to be a loss and it's just it's also under under Ewing under Ewing I was gonna say the JT3 game against a different style of opponent but it's like the Monmouth game that was like what 2015 under Ewing was it a win yeah. Uh, not sure. I think it's basically the Mount St. Mary's season opener that they came back to win. That they got been totally erased from my memory. What year? They was got that? down. It was the uh, year when they were had the when they were set up for success. Yeah, it was the year yeah. of the Exodus. They came out. Yeah. You know, it was sophomore year. You've got Kinjo McClung. Everyone's all pumped. You know, you've got your seven. And they came out, and uh, Mount St. Mary's was up on them, like, 15 points. God, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, they were down 19, early second yeah. half. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, the difference was, and if you look, Mount St. Mary's scored 68. Dartmouth had 69 the other night. You know, the difference was, you know, it's kind of been the theme is, you know, Patrick's teams have to outscore you. Like, they don't win a lot of those slugfest, you know, games. And yeah. the difference was that team was, you know, it was a, a poor season opener, and that team – of that year was just a better team and they had better players yeah. and they came, you know, they were able, they were able to come back. And uh, so it kind of reminds me of that. I, you know, I was racking my brain trying to figure out the loss because it's probably the worst loss in the Ken Palm era um, really. And, uh, and it's like, well, you know, it was actually kind of like a win except, you know, from just like mm-hmm. the, the first game jitters getting down to a opponent that you thought, you know, I mean, that year Mount St. Mary's finished 298 in Ken Palm and, you know, I think, I think Dartmouth right now is at two sixty three, and you know that's probably about where they're going to finish. So mm-hmm. something, something kind of similar. Again, I am the host Bobby Bancroft. You can get me at Bobby Bancroft on Twitter. I'm here with Nationwide Nolan at Nationwide Nolan on Twitter. Both good Twitter follows, especially him. So the Hoyas are going to the Wooden Classic. They're going to get a shot at San Diego State. And fingers crossed, whether they win or lose, it's the best for them is to play 
USC, who just entered the top 25 this week, rather than St. Joe's, who's still in a in a rebuilding part of their situation. What would you say are you hoping to see out in the Wooden Classic? And what do you think is likely that you're going to see? I would like a competitive game on Thursday. It's an interesting matchup. It's going to be a real test uh, for the offense. I think especially Aminu, where we talked about where he can kind of drive into the lane right now, maybe a little bit out of control, and he's he's been good enough to get away with some things so far, but San Diego State's a different deal. Um, they really grind you down. If you look at just like on Ken Palm, their defensive possession length is 353rd. Like you are going to have to have long possessions. You have to execute. You're not going to get much in transition at all. So it'll be an interesting test. Uh, the flip side of that is Georgetown's woes, as we know, has been the three-point line defensively, and San Diego State cannot shoot it. I mean, they're making 24% of their threes through four games. So if there's some hope, it's with that. But uh, Georgetown has kind of been able to push it a little bit this year, and you're going to have to settle into a half-court game and, and execute. So it'll be a good test. Um what I'm hoping for, the outcome I would like is a competitive game Thursday, and if it happens to be St. Joe's in the second game, to win that game. Um, so if they leave there with a win, if the bracket breaks that way, if by some chance St. Joe's actually wins that first game and you end up with the San Diego State-USC draw, you might be staring at 0-2. But um, I think a competitive opener and then take care of business against St. Joe's. Hey, did you get a chance to listen to, I think you did, did you get a chance to listen to Marcus's evaluation of kind of what Georgetown is and probably specifically isn't doing on their three-point defense? And what did you think about it, assuming you listened? That was after the Dartmouth pod? Yeah. Yeah. Refresh my memory on what he said. I mean, he was basically just saying that they helped too far off. And, you know, when Ewing... I think Ewing, Ewing response to me about what's going on with the three-point defense, because look, you know, we saw it in the Colorado game and you have an entire different group of guys, right? Like mm-hmm. Pickett's gone, Belay's gone, um, you know, Blair's gone, uh, Wahab, who we're going to get to in a minute, is gone. And it's a complete different set of guys. And it was a, a much, you know, lesser opponent and the same problems, right? And that's yeah. kind of been... You know, unfortunately for them, often the rim is one of the better three-point defenders, you know, within the scheme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we'll see how it goes. You know, uh, uh, American couldn't really shoot the three and Sienna's and all kinds of problems right now. But, you know, it, it is a matter of, you know, when do you need to rethink what you're doing out there yeah. rather than just saying, well, they didn't close out quick enough. And it's kind of like, well, maybe – they don't need to be maybe they shouldn't be coming from that position like what's your take do you do you think it just they just keep getting a, a group of guys that are just all bad at defending the three or i think at this point it's probably it's, you know with the system yeah and i think it is tough when you strictly play a traditional center uh, that can't move around as well yeah and i i think there's been an issue at least this year so far with actual on ball defense where there have been some guys getting blown by and that causes the overhelp and teams can spray it out from there. Um, but yeah, it's, 
I don't think there's any scheme. I mean, unless you play a two-three zone like Syracuse and says, "Hey, this is what we're going to live with." But if you look at Georgetown's track record the last five years, they've consistently ranked in the bottom third nationally and just three-point rate, the attempts allowed. So something is off there where, you know, the trade-off's not good enough. Um, really until late last year when you had Pickett and Belay and Wahab where you had that massive front court who could shut down everything at the rim. And then it was, okay, we can live with the threes. But when you get in the situation where, okay, we're not – you might not be as good up front this year um, and that physicality, that length, and now you're allowing more threes than ever. It's it's has the recipe for a bad combo. Yeah, but like you said, we're going to see. And I think that's obviously, you know, when I see that Trey King is a Georgetown transfer, I almost feel like, is that really the correct way to, you know, talk about this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, never on an official roster that we saw. I know he did transfer to Georgetown, I think. I mean, I don't, you know, was he ever enrolled in the school? I'm not really sure, you know, doesn't really matter. But, you know, I think we were all kind of hoping that he would play a lot of the five. And even though he, you know, you're bringing back Dante Harris and Don Carey, you got Aminu coming in, there's probably a case to be made that he could have been one of the more important pieces of the team, even though we never got to see what he was like on the court. Do you think with Holloway back and between Billingsley and Holloway that we could get some of non-traditional Ewing lineups, basically not a center? It would surprise me. I I think the Trey King thing really hurt in that aspect where you could have had a small ball five. But now it, it does seem like he's tied to playing a traditional center. And I I don't know if there's anybody left on the roster that you could really slide in there. Um, yeah. The thing now is he has three centers, so it's not a matter of uh, we're in foul trouble with one of these guys. Let's just go small. It's uh, there's three of them to use. So I, it would surprise me if if we ever saw that look. Which I will say I was terrified at the thought that he might actually pair two of them together, which has not happened. He's uh. He's kept four smalls around them and had shooting out there. So I think that's the positive so far. I think last year I asked Kudis if he would be comfortable playing alongside Ego FA. Mm -hmm. And he said something like, yeah. And I thought, (laughs) wow, I will be so interested if this actually happens. Well, we'll get to this. But from seeing him so far, he was uh, maybe a little overconfident in that statement. Yeah, let's get that in a second. I guess I'll give my predictions for the Hoyas out there. I think they're going to go one and one I think they're going to lose to San Diego State, and I think they're going to find a way to beat St. Joe's. I would actually be cool if they could, you know, obviously 2-0, that's what you want to do. But I would think that the team could learn and experience more just by playing both San Diego State and USC. So I think Georgetown is the second game of the first night. So you're going to, you're going to know what you need to do to play USC. Um, So you're kind of, you're going to, you know, obviously know, but I think, I think the most productive trip for the long term this season and next season 
would just be as many games against good teams as possible, which would be playing mm-hmm. both of the California schools. Yeah. So before we get to some Twitter questions, I think it's fair because even this past media veil, which I couldn't make, Patrick has said, you know, Q's not here. Q's not here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he doesn't say it like in like a, you know, I'm upset he's not here. He's just, it's just when he, refer, you know, refers to Ego FA or the center position, he mentions like, look, you know, Q's not here. He's going to be a focal point. And it's like, yeah, he, he obviously was. I know we said it at the time. Uh, forgive me if it wasn't with you, but I know that we, you know, I think it was, we, we talked about him. I know I did a pod with Andrew and Ben where Andrew was, I think, calling him like, and like he had like some sort of nickname for him. But I thought we were very fair to Kudus Wahab. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say who, but I had there's representatives of Kudus reach out to me and tell me how stupid I was and I didn't know anything. <laughs> and I thought I was really fair. And I gave that person a chance. I said, oh, that's great. I'm stupid. That's awesome. Would you like to come on and talk to me on <laughs> can take corner and tell me where I'm wrong and give everyone, you know, obviously that was turned down because that would have been a pretty interesting podcast. But I think one of the things we said was, look, if you are Kudis, you just had that big East run. You just had the post COVID, you know, run where Georgetown looked like definitely one of the best teams for at large. And Patrick Ewing is your coach. Where in the major conferences, are you going to find a spot where no matter what, they're going to run their offense through you. And, you know, as long as you have the stamina and as long as you're not in foul trouble, you're going to be on the court more often than you're not. And it seemed mm. true in March and April whenever he transferred. And it certainly seems true now. I mean, is did, I mean, we, we got this right, right? I would say so. Um, it's a long <laughs> season, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. If, if you're in Maryland, the alarming thing is this is not, this is not Michigan, Purdue. I mean, those teams are big anyway, but it's, you know, it's not a top 10 team that's chasing him off the floor. This is George Mason and Hofstra where he can't be out there. Um, And even Vermont, I don't, I mean, really all the games he's, I mean, I think his high this year was 24 minutes against GW. Um, But yeah, it's just frustrating because, you know, and I don't know this. This is just speculation on my part, but I'm guessing March, Mark Turgeon said, hey, look, we just had Jalen Smith here, and I let him play on the perimeter and shoot threes, and he was a lottery pick, knowing full <laughs> well that's God. not what you're going to let this kid do. No. But that's the game of recruiting where, you know, you take your highest thought of, you know, player that's come through, and you compare him to new recruits, like, Jim Beheim is going to tell every small forward he recruits that, hey, I coached Carmelo Anthony. It's the same reason JT3 was able to tell Isaac Copeland, hey, you could be our next auto porter. And it just, which actually that's more reasonable than saying, hey, Kudis, you can be Jalen Smith. Um, but you know what I mean? It's just selling a false hope to a kid um, and him thinking, which I, I think he's, seem like a terrifically nice kid i'm still rooting for him i really thought he was a good player um but you have to know your limitations and where you fit in and georgetown was the fit for him i i don't think what what's mark turgeon and danny manning going to teach him that patrick wasn't um nothing and you were going to be utilized here as much as anywhere else in the country so 
it's just frustrating to see this take place because you can kind of see it coming where, hey, it's your role is not going to get better than what it is here. Yeah, obviously there, there's more to factor in than just basketball, but when you're at such a high-profile program in a major conference like Georgetown in the Big East, you know, you see these guys on TV all the time and you 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 do just focus on the basketball. So, you know, if you didn't like the college life at Georgetown, although it was a pandemic last year, so it wasn't like it was normal anyway. But when you look at just the basketball stuff, which is what I always try to say, like just basketball-wise, there's not a lot of places that are going to play a traditional center and just go through them all the time. Mm-hmm. And he was at a place where, you know, a hall of famer is coaching and it's unfortunate that they weren't able to figure out whatever the problem was and just keep him at Georgetown because it did seem like the best spot for him to be at. And I think he improved since he got at Georgetown. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Turgeon and Danny Manning. Um, One of the guys that runs, I think it's the Maryland 24 seven site he had posted after after one of the games and you know i i quote tweeted above it he didn't respond which is fine but something like you know kudis didn't just get to campus like before the first game like he's been there mm-hmm. since the summer right since may i'm assuming yeah. right like they're major college athletes they don't just go home and show up in late august like they're there the whole time mm-hmm. and it was something to the effect of you know i'm surprised you know he didn't learn under ewing how to pass out of a double team that's yeah. like uh, I'm, I, you know, I think he was taught how to do that. I just don't think he does it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I point out he had like five assists in like 700 minutes last season. And after the first appearance, he go they had like two or three assists, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I thought it was interesting from the Maryland side to be like, uh, you didn't give us a finished product. It's like, <laughs> it's a very good player. Please do not blame the faults on Patrick. If anything, I think you need to, you know, be like, wow, we got a really good player here because of Patrick. So that just kind of irked me in a way that was just like, are you serious? Is, is yeah, this real and, life right now? <laughs> the other part of that is, okay, he's getting doubled. I mean, maybe you have to look at yourself and say, okay, what have we done to surround him? I mean, you got Fats Russell out there who's a mid-level A-time point guard running the show now. It's just, I don't know. I, I think he's a good player. And you, he's worth, he's a good enough player to utilize, and you just don't bury him against George Mason and Hofstra. You should be able to exploit what he has against lesser teams. Um, it's just, yeah, it's it's not Ewing's fault. I think from what Kudis came in as a freshman to what he left at the end of his sophomore year, I think he was improved dramatically. Yeah, and he got to play a lot at the end of the freshman year because of the injury to, uh, you know, the injury to uh, Omir. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that was, that's pretty, oh, one thing I didn't ask you about before the podcast, I'm going to put you on the spot here. It's, so it's Thanksgiving. What's your favorite Georgetown Thanksgiving game over the Thanksgiving break. So it could be either like, you know, like the week before, which was, I think the Charleston classic is a little bit before. And then obviously Maui and the different other tournaments. What's your favorite Georgetown Thanksgiving game? 
it feels like we had a little stretch there where there was quite a few to choose from. Um, yeah. The, Sorry, the Missouri I, I game. I, I love the Missouri game. That I think that was late November. Yeah. Um, the the Maui trip was fun. Uh, the Kansas game and then the Memphis win. Uh, the, maybe it was later. I'm looking at it now. I guess it was December when they went out and steamrolled through Washington. That was a fun one. That was the Monroe Freeman Wright team. Um, so there's been a couple. I'll give you mine. It was even though they didn't get into the into the final. Mine would definitely have to be from a season that just makes no sense. I'd actually love to watch like a, you know, some sort of documentary on this season. We could have Chris on again, but the the two thousand eight two thousand nine Hoyas that went to Orlando and oh, they got yeah. Turgeon. They 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 actually no, I guess it was it was uh, Greg. That was still Gary, it was, yeah. It was Greg uh, Marshall, but anyway, they beat a Wichita State team that's you know always pretty good. They lost to Tennessee. But then they just, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, they just absolutely gave it to Maryland. And unfortunately, it got lost locally. And at that yeah. time, Big Don was on the radio still. And he's like, I told you, if Georgetown wins, it's not a big deal. This is why you don't play. And mm-hmm. there's some truth to what he said. But also, it was like, it was on an NFL Sunday. It just kind of got lost. Yeah. But, I mean, they just gave it to Grievous in Maryland. I mean, 75-48. <laughs> It was one of those games where the Princeton offense and their defense was really good at that point. It was just unbelievable. So I think, you know, unfortunately, Georgetown didn't get Maryland in either of the Gavit games, and they had a great shot at both of them. It's it, They're really unlikely yeah. to have lost both. But what they did to Maryland in that game was just like, it's not really suitable for the family. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of tell that was one that guys like Kristen Austin, the locals, they, they took seriously. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I could give you the low the low point of the Thanksgiving week. Was it the uh Yeah. What was that trip in twenty I guess that was Puerto Rico, right? The northeastern loss and then Oh, I was, I thought you were gonna say I thought you were gonna say the win against Tennessee. I think it was Black Friday. Okay. I actually I'm <laughs> I don't mind the uh the 50 possession games that you know a total grind i because everybody plays so fast these days and just jacks threes that if you give me an old-fashioned slugfest i'm i I don't find it as ugly as other people do oh the crazy thing about that is and i forget it came up the other day and i you know i i've been to so many games now i've been lucky to do what i do for a little bit that I don't keep a lot of stuff, but I kept that box score because it was like, look, we're not seeing something like this again. And Liz Clark, <laughs> who used to cover Georgetown, she had a couple different stints for the post when the post covered the team like home and away, like wherever they played, like the post is sending somebody, which they've long since graduated from that mm-hmm. that way of handling Georgetown, whether it's just their clicks or you know, they haven't been you know, really good in a while. But Liz Clark, to me, growing up in this area is like a big deal. Like, so I was like, wow, this is cool. Liz Clark is covering Georgetown. And Markel Starks made the game-winning shot, quote, unquote, like with like four minutes and 15 seconds left. Because Tennessee just, (laughs) they have like a million cracks at it. They just just could not score. And, you know, 
Liz Clark is a force of nature. I mean, she's a big time reporter and she really yeah. wanted to get Markel Starks to come out and talk. And I'd have to look back. I don't know if we got anybody, but Markel Starks didn't come out and she was like legitimately pissed about it. So I tagged her in a tweet and I said, remember we couldn't get Markel Starks and Liz is so nice. And she's always been so nice to me. Um, locally, she was on the Tony Kornheiser show, which is, you know, he was such a big deal for a long time. Um, she liked it. She didn't, she didn't respond. She probably has a million sports memories that that one is so you know faint in her ability to remember everything. But for me, it's, in an instant, it can be front and center. I just remember it was like, it, you know, just unbelievable. I mean, uh, I'm looking right now. I mean, right, you know, Tennessee shot three for 16, 18% from three. I mean, it was just just a crazy game. So that was along that period too. And then one of my other favorites was in the, oh, what? this would have been, it was the year before. So it was the year that they went down to, I guess it's the Charleston Classic, and I want to say that Julian Vaughn was hurt. And, you know, the teams they beat weren't, you know, super incredible. They beat Wofford, Coastal Carolina, and NC State. But we saw what was going to come the next year of Henry Sims. Mm -hmm. You know, because Greg had left and gone pro, and, you know, most of that year they went with with, uh, Julian. But we got a lot of Henry Sims and you know he ended up going you know we didn't get a lot of them after that but that to me even though the tournament wasn't super incredible I had this memory of Henry Sims and it was a little bit of a foreshadowing of of what was to come so yeah yeah sorry I didn't mean to put you on the spot there no no it's 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 if anything it's depressing of we used to be in meaningful tournaments and performed well That's a good segue to Kente Corner questions, which I want to thank everyone that responded. I definitely put it out kind of late. My schedule is, you know, the dinner gets done, the two kids, uh, there's dogs to walk. There's all kinds of things going on over here at Kente Corner headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia. But I did get some some responses and some of the stuff we, we spoke about. But so Jeff Green for MVP asked about how will the rotation change when Holloway and Clark are healthy? I think we talked about that a little bit. Our guess is that Wilson's minutes go away and you're thinking Clark doesn't really crack the rotation. I'm thinking that there's just minutes that kind of go around and they're sort of taken away evenly. I don't think you're going to like not see somebody. I just think you're going to see a little bit less. And my guess is maybe Tyler or Jordan, or I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's going to go something like that. Hoya apologist, which is at Hoya breakdown chimed in with a nice remark of 120 minutes for Holloway at the three, four and five. I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, should rice be our six man from BSU fan nine, 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 nine. What do you think about that? I like him starting. I, I just like, I think you have to leverage the shooting of him and Don out there together. So I, I like keeping them together. I think if you subtract him, I don't know who people would like to replace him, but you put, I assume most would think Jordan Riley. And I think then you're looking at, you know, him and Aminu paired together. You're going to lose a lot of spacing. Um, you know, you might improve defensively, but I, I do like the rice carry combo out there just from a spacing and shooting perspective. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And maybe getting Clark and Holloway back will help a little bit. But one of the reasons 
I was against that lineup is just because you're basically counting on only freshmen off the bench if you do that. Yeah. You know, like there's no one, you know, last year I thought Don Carey and then at the end, Javon Blair was playing that role. The idea of having someone that you can just go to and be like screaming them to get in and produce. Mm -hmm. And if you start both Rice and Carey, you don't have anybody that can do that. So I get what you're saying. Part of me likes the idea of having instant offense off the bench, and maybe that's just something that this team's not going to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, sorry. No, we're okay. I, you're right. There's looking for the scoring punch off the bench. It's hard to single out one of those guys who who really can bring that. Yeah, and I always like that. When I was my first memories of the NBA, basically, are the Pistons and. You know, mm-hmm. Vinny Johnson just coming in yeah. the microwave and just someone that can just do that. Now, I was very young at this point, if you're trying to age me. But uh, <laughs> that that is I've, – I've always been keen to that. And I guess, I, you know, I caught the end of Kevin McHale, you know, basically mm-hmm. being a, a Hall of Famer coming off the bench. So I kind of like the idea of being able to tab somebody off the bench. Uh, Eric Weebler, predictions for the point spread against San Diego State. I'm not going to lie. Ken Palm's kind of taken the fun out of this game for me. Yeah. I don't know if you want to speak to this maybe, but you know, Ken Palm has Georgetown losing 69, 65, which they don't usually play games like that. So that might actually be a good thing for their defense. If that's what the final score was, but um, pretty much Ken Palm is kind of the line, right? That's, that's kind of what's happening now. Yeah. It's uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that a little bit higher. Um, just because I, I would think most people might think Georgetown right now is just a little overrated on Kempom's metrics at 88. Um, yeah, and I, I think that final score, I mean, Kempom at 69-65 and 69 possessions. Um, so I think it is it's probably going to be a lower scoring affair. It's San Diego State, they're, they're going to make you um, – you have to match their physicality, and uh, it'll be a grind. But, yeah, I would think San Diego State maybe like five and a half, maybe six. Yeah, that's 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 about right. I, I wish I could say that I came up with that myself, but, you know, Ken Palm just spits it out, and there we are. Yeah. Heart Attack Hoya, which is Hoya Achella. Does the program have outdated or unorthodox, unorthodox I can't even say it, media slash communication policies. So what I would say to this is someone that's covered the team now for 10 years, we had what was just an absolute breakthrough moment uh, two games ago. I couldn't make the Sienna game, but Aminu Muhammad joined Patrick Ewing, which is crazy because he's a freshman. It's not second semester. And usually the problem with Georgetown is you have to wait forever for the kids to, you know, shower and put their suit on. This was like the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament where he's in his jersey, which is what the away team always does, which is nice because they usually get in there quick and get out and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so before going into some things that maybe I don't like about the media policies, it's you know you have to bring up that that was you know it might sound small, that was a huge deal. I mean, I know that you're far away, but you're familiar with what's going on. I mean, what did you think when you were like, holy shit, they have Aminu Muhammad? Yeah, that was a, a tradition I didn't really think was going to get broken, um, especially because you do have some elder statesmen between 
Don and Caden Rice and, and Tim and even Malcolm now. Um, baby steps, I guess. I mean, it's uh, as far as if they're out of date with some unorthodox um, ways, I would say definitively yes. Um, it's uh, too much, just from an outsider perspective, too much of a closed door policy. So anything like that, you'll you'll take. Yeah, and then as far as, as someone that does cover the team i've done it for a bunch of different places and i try to do my best job for sb nation when i have to do that i would say not outdated or unorthodox but more just closed right like Mm -hmm. you know a lot of faces have changed and there's I, i think that there's been improvements but i think at the end of the day they do try to hold on to the past a lot. And yeah. what I would say is I don't think Georgetown of the late seventies, eighties and the nineties were good because that they had all these closed policies. I would say that it was just part of who they were, but it didn't make them good. You know, like I don't think, you know, going to the 1982 final four and staying, you know, two hours away, yeah, I, I don't think that that helped them get to the final and almost win it. That's just who they were. That's what Big John wanted to do. And, you know, the world's changed a lot, right? Like, you know, all those types mm-hmm. of things. So that's that's the one thing that I would say if anyone cared about my opinion, which I don't think any of the decision makers um, at the top over there do, which is fair. I, I just think that, you know, there's not a lot of competitive advantages for being so closed. You know, I don't think... For instance, you know, I, I wasn't able to make it, but I got the question out there, you know, is everyone healthy and available for the first game? And yeah. he answered it. He said Clark and Holloway were gone. But then we get to the game and it's like, what's wrong with Ego FA? You know, like, what's wrong? And yeah. um, I think after the game, I asked him, and he's like, well, he recently got a concussion. And that was on, that game was on Saturday and we had talked to him mm-hmm. on Thursday. So, you know, I, di- I didn't press him because I know he's not going to, you know, give an answer. There's no reason just to like fight, just to fight. But you could kind of assume from that, did he get a concussion on Friday? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't think that there was a lot of value in trying to like pin Patrick down to mm-hmm. what exact day and hour he got a concussion, but just sort of things like that. Like, I think that, you know, I think over the summer we saw something from Villanova, like, you know, someone had surgery or someone's out, you know, we yeah. didn't know Colin Holloway had surgery. That was completely mm-hmm. new, right? Like, yeah surprisingly in a day of social media that someone didn't film him with a boot on. And that's one of the things mm. if there had been a Kenner league would have been like, well, Holloway's not playing on any team, you know, and then maybe people would have investigated it further and the students would have been around or, or whatever. Yeah. So I would just say well, just, just being a little bit more open, I think would when things aren't going well, at least the fans feel like they're more involved. Well, and, and don't you think it has a cumulative effect? Like you are on the local scene, and not to get too off track, and we've talked about this guy before, um, Kim English at George Mason. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> <laughs> which actually, it's kind of gone off the rails for them a little bit this week. But uh, he's uh, obviously super engaged with the fan base. Uh, I mean, and he's 33 years old. He's going to be more adept at using social media. Um, but I think even Mason now has like a coach's show. They do locally at a, at a restaurant uh, yep. once a week. Yep. And that helps fan engagement. When you have fan engagement, you might get a better crowd. You have a better crowd. It's a better atmosphere. 
you have recruits around every it's it's just a trickle down effect and when you close it all off you know and you've said this perfectly you know when you when you're the only thing they have to offer is winning and when you don't win what are you left with it's yeah it's just it's tough yeah no for sure so but like i said after saying those things we got to meet muhammad that's awesome and i hope that that you know so patrick joked on the way out you know he 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 unprompted was like hey i gave you a freshman sort of like you know leave me alone it was definitely playful it was you know funny and then ron who i love got in real quick as he's walking out the door does that mean the policy's over and he said well yeah for now so you know to true georgetown form but uh it was definitely pretty cool. And hopefully we're going to get, we're going to get Ryan soon because he's obviously very interesting and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, being a little more open, I think would be great in 2022, but you know, they're not going to wake up one day and act like Kim English is right. It's going to take some time. So yeah, uh, this is probably something for you from K bads, Kenny D Williams prediction on the next commitment. I'm sort of, while recruiting is like 80% of winning, I just can't find myself living and dying with recruiting right now. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could even take a stab at that. I, I guess I might almost default and say it could be a transfer just in the spring. Cause <laughs> I, I don't know, or I guess I'm not familiar with him. Is it Lamont? Um, the class of 23 guard that's local. That seems like they're putting a full court press on. Uh, maybe he would be the guy, but I, I don't know. Um, the only recruiting unit that's popped up recently is the Greg Jackson kid out of North, is it South Carolina? I think, um, the only caution there I would say is when North Carolina wants a kid from the Carolinas, they usually get the kid from the Carolinas. Um, so I wouldn't really get my hopes up there. I think the last kid that they were in on for North Carolina and that's just back when I did a lot of recruiting stuff and cared. And then recruiting just broke me. There wasn't a lot of money in it. And it's, I mean, God, what a hard thing to do. Not yeah. writing about it, but actually trying to convince these young kids to come to your school. Mm-hmm. Was was Kennedy Meeks a North Carolina kid? Yeah, yeah. And he seemed but, like and, there was a legitimate chance he was coming to Georgetown. Yeah, and, I think that's a great example that, you know, if that kid did not grow up in the state of North Carolina, he probably would have came to Georgetown because it was a perfect pitch to him. He seemed to really be interested, but that pull of Carolina blue to those kids down there, it's just, you're not going to beat them out. And my guy, probably, so the old college, let me think if this is true. Is Scott Cherry still coaching somewhere? You know Scott Cherry? With a... Mm. He was a he was a he was like a bit player. He was, I'm sorry, a bit player. He was like a role player for UNC, and mm-hmm. he was an assistant at Mason. He was the head coach at High Point for a little bit. Okay. I don't know if he's, anyway, I played in pickup games with him back when I was always at Mason. But Hubert Davis, the only NBA player I've never been in, uh, that I've ever been in a pickup game with, because he was like Braddock <laughs> guy, and he would come back and play at camps when I used to yeah. when I was a counselor. Um, the only player I've ever graced the court with, I think that's made it to the NBA. Um, my guy is at, is at UNC, Lake Braddock, Burke's own Hubert Davis. So um, I'm not rooting for them, but I'm also not, not rooting for them to, if I had to pick a team in the ACC, just because of the, 
the near and dear Lake Bragg Bruins to my heart. Um, <laughs> well, he's apparently one of the nicest people on the earth too. So he's great. He's got that yeah. going for him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And he and he was on the he was on those Knicks teams, which I was into. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, this is a question more for me from Super Eric Rogers. Any standing appearances on the corner of the season? Yes, I did Ben's pod. Uh, happy birthday to Ben, by the way. It's his birthday, which also I realized is the same day that one of the best albums of all time, Doggy Style, dropped. Um, they were not the same day. Doggy Style is like 28, 29 years old. Ben is a little bit older than 28, <laughs> but they do share the same the same birthday. I did... I did uh, Ben, who's doing a great job. He's actually on the radio right now while we're recording this. He's been they've been giving him some slots on the local 106.7. Yeah, the fan. He's on the radio right now. Um, I did his podcast the other day after the football team beat uh, the Panthers. He definitely wants to come on. He hasn't been. He's not glued to college basketball anymore, but he's got some. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the, those 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 macro takes that we can yeah. at some point. And then the last question. From Lockdown Jabril, which is a great name, and he's Denny Supremacy, which is Denny on the Wizards. Way too early starting five LOL for next year. And I don't really have the answer to this, but what I would say is the best part of this season will be that they get better and that in the offseason you keep your most important pieces, something that just hasn't happened around here. Mm -hmm. So I would hope that next year's starting five has Dante Harris on it. Minu might be different depending on how well he does. He might end up leaving. That's just what kids that are as talented as him yeah. do. Although we could, we have months and months of podcasts to talk about that. So <laughs> you're hoping Harris, you're hoping Muhammad. You got the ego FA Matumbo thing. I don't know how that's going to shake out. Jordan Riley. And then who, who am I, who am I missing? It, it, you might, I guess. Yeah. You might have the answer. I don't know. It's, it's all confusing now, but. Would Don Carey and Caden Rice have the option of opting back in for an extra year? Last so year Don was Carey a... was like Don Carey was like really confusing everyone this past year. Remember, it was like yeah. it, you know, is he going to be? There was all these different theories about how they're going to fill these guys on scholarship, and does Don Carey count because of you know? So Don Carey has participated in four seasons of college basketball, but last year doesn't count. Right, and if last year doesn't count, he had the transfer sit out. It seems like you know. I, I know if you follow me on Twitter, people know that I'm I, I like Notre Dame football. There's been discussions, and Brian Kelly shot them down recently that Jack Cohn does not have that extra year for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if Don Carey. It seems like he probably would. He'd be kind of old, and if he wants yeah. to play at all professionally in some league, you would think he would probably leave mm-hmm. but that's probably one of the more interesting questions that at the end of the season hopefully we can figure out an answer i don't think patrick's going to give an answer to that in the next yeah email. i think for me it's i kind of look at a core four of dante aminu jordan riley and ryan matumbo um and not to exclude jalen billingsley from that group but those four would be my focus of okay if those guys are in place, we're, we should be in a good place next year. Because if you look around the Big East, which people have talked about, it's uh, you're likely just going to have a mass exodus really across the league, maybe outside of 
Creighton and Marquette probably are two that stand out that will be in a good spot next year um, with their young guys. But you look at Providence, Nate Watson off the back end, Xavier had guys off back in. Butler has like three or four of them, which I don't know if you saw them play today, but they might have already quit on the season. Um, well, that that's what was so surprising. Well, I think they had a bunch of injuries. A lot. Don't they have, I think they, they had have, a bunch of guys yeah. out. But it seemed like they quit last year, and then the whole damn team came back. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, they they seem to be a mess right now. But uh, the window's there if you can retain your guys for next year. Um, you know, you have a chance to really move up the ladder. Uh, one little note that I forgot that maybe only I will find interesting: Georgetown, San Diego State. Or set, had the chance to meet in two tournaments in the last ten years, and both times they didn't. They had, the Georgetown had a chance to play Kawhi Leonard in one of them, and then a couple of years later, you know, so they were in the the same bracket. Do you remember which ones those were? Or do you want? Do you want, do you want I think I do. You? It was the Ohio oh, yeah. loss, right? Yeah. So in that the, up in Providence, which I was there, Ohio Georgetown, that was the three fourteen. And then the other side was Tennessee and San Diego State was the six eleven, and obviously both Georgetown and the Aztecs lost. And do you remember the next one? Yeah, Florida Gulf Coast because uh, they rolled through them the next game, didn't they? Oh shoot! There's three. I forgot. <laughs> That's awesome. So okay, so yeah, I'm missing the other one. So, wait, let me punch up that bracket. You're right. Yeah, because, it, you know, the Florida Gulf Coast loss, which obviously everyone just – it just traumatized everyone. I thought at least that, like, them going out and winning the next game, you know, was kind of cool, right? Like, it was yeah. – it wasn't, you know, whatever. But, yeah. They were massively underseated as a, as a 15. I think that was fair to say. Yeah, and Georgetown probably just – I think when you go back and look at that season, if you redid everything, JT3 is National Coach of the Year, okay? Yes. Yeah. Given yeah. what they did. And Otto, I think, over – I think a Trey Burke out of that year. I think Otto should have been Player of the Year. I agree, yeah. The fact that that team was a two-seed, and they deserved to be. And by the way, Nolan, I think if they'd won the Big East Tournament, they might have been a one. I think so, because <laughs> – those years he scheduled so well that it was yeah. like, you know, you get those post reaction selection Sunday kind of tidbits. And it yeah. was even like years in like oh nine where it's like had they won that Saint John's game, they actually had a chance to get in. And it was the way he scheduled, yeah. Um, I can't remember well, that year specifically, but they were always probably um I guess some would argue overseeded, but they uh they were they always did. In yeah no like the, he like the committee said here's what we value and they went out and did that you know and mm-hmm. obviously you have to win those games you can't just schedule them and lose but okay so also in 2012 there was a chance Georgetown was this was in Columbus I was there as well Georgetown you know everyone picked Belmont and then the Georgetown just hammered him so Georgetown Belmont was the 314 and the 611 was San Diego State was upset and okay. North Carolina State was 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 the 11. So I remember rooting for North Carolina State, and unfortunately Georgetown lost to them, you know, on on Sunday. But uh, so, yeah, so three times in a four-year span, the committee just was just dying for a Georgetown-San <laughs> Diego State matchup that just never materialized. 
Yeah, that's uh, I remember the Ohio one because I I was living not too far from Providence at that point, and I said to myself, "Oh, I'll skip the Thursday and I'll just I'll make sure I'm there Saturday," being naive. And then, uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of uh of it all. <laughs> well, something that happened, or something that I learned that hasn't really helped me since. So that Ohio game, that was the last game I went to as a fan season ticket holder yeah and then um in Chicago the next year I was doing stuff for I was helping out Ron and Hoyer report and then the next year the uh, 106.7 and then I just kept kind of going but I found out a trick that I'm sure a lot of people know I bought my tickets from San Diego State yeah because like Georgetown sold out instantly you know and I, maybe someone posted on Hoya Talk was like, hey, go to San Diego State. So I think I had to make like a 25 or a $50 donation to like the, the um, whatever, the Aztec fund or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got my tickets through San Diego State. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. And all, you know, who else was always in, in, in those brackets, either at the two or the one, was Kansas. Like yeah. Kansas was always in the like for whatever like because like the year they lost to VCU, um, you know that was the that was the final game was uh, Kansas. Kansas was the one in this Ohio bracket. They didn't even make it. They lost to Northern Iowa in the second day. But uh, well, yeah, for every play reason, out, if, yeah, if you play out those twenty ten to twenty fifteen seasons, it's it feels like we got the lowest possible outcomes. <laughs> It really does. Um, but it had so much more. And, and even, you know, I remember looking and seeing, like, okay, how am I going to get to Detroit uh, for, you know, when Georgetown beat Belmont? I was kind of all like, oh, look, they got it. Like, you know, all these upsets are going to stop. And I don't consider losing to NC State. They're an ACC school. Yeah, they were the 11 seed. It fits a narrative of saying, like, well, they kept losing to double-digit seeds, which is true, yeah. you know. But, you know, look, I mean, they won by three. And then the next game in Detroit, Kansas beat NC State by three. I mean, it was kind of right there in mm-hmm. the balance. And then Kansas went on to just hammer UNC. But, uh, yeah, it just forever. Yeah, I mean, they, they couldn't have done worse collectively if you play those simulations, you know. But yeah. I think it, it is kind of weird that because Ohio is in this bracket as well, the 2012 Midwest, Midwest Regional. UNC, who they played in 08, they were there. So it, for whatever reason, I, I guess what it comes down to is if you keep making the tournament, the same kind of mm-hmm. teams keep making the tournament. So I guess the chances are you're going to see a lot of the same teams over and over again, particularly if you win games because, you know, the cream kind of rises to the crop and that's just that's just who you're, who you're kind of with. But uh, – yeah. It's fun to look at those those brackets now that I'm not emotionally hurt by it still. It's kind of it's kind of fun. Uh it's I I would kill to be <laughs> uh just to be a part of I mean I shouldn't say that because we were a part of it last year, even though it was at once we got in it was over after ten minutes. But uh yeah, just to obsess over bracketology every day and in, in late February, I, I would kill for those days again. Well, there's going to be plenty of time to talk about if they're in the mix in the middle on the end of the season, or if they're not, we can talk about, you know, why aren't they? But uh, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it, it all boils down to that. And this is definitely a, a fan base that 
I think deserves things to eventually eventually get get better. And you know, also, you know, the run they had at Madison Square Garden, like, you know, you could say if you played it with fans, maybe it's different and blah blah blah. But man, like this the Georgetown fan base up there for the tournament's always good. And yeah. it's you know, they're one of the te- now UConn's back, so they're obviously one of the teams, but man, that would have been just such a special moment to mm-hmm. have everyone just enjoy that like all together. It's it's I mean it's great that they got you it. Know, it's awesome. But if there were fans there, I mean, say it plays out the way it did, by the time you beat Villanova on that Thursday, that MSD crowd yeah. completely flipped to rooting for Patrick in Georgetown. It would have been yeah, that is uh the last eighteen months around the world sucked and that was just a part of it. So it was the only thing if you want to factor in the crowd and I can't remember the way the game went, but I don't know. I forget how, how close UConn's loss was, but you wonder if that would have helped. Cause it seemed like for as great as the run Georgian had every every team sort of has like their boogeyman. And you, mm-hmm. last year's UConn team was Georgetown's boogeyman. And you, that yeah. would have been, you know, the ultimate, you know, seven titles versus seven titles. UConn's back, mm-hmm. you know, Georgetown, you know, that would have been just an incredible environment. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, Creighton, I think played the villain and Creighton's still recruiting well. Like I, I know McDermott does a good <laughs> job X's and O's, but what in the bleep is going on there? Why, why is this still happening? So I, I think Georgetown definitely would have been a heavy favorite in the final as far yeah. as the crowd. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think there's some some of that casual observers, New York City people who go and yeah, Ewing would have would have captivated that audience for sure. That so everyone that's listening, subscribe, rate, do all those things. It definitely helps out and it lets me know what we need to do. Thanks for all the the Twitter questions. Hopefully, I'll, we answer them. Interesting stuff there. But uh, I'm at Bobby Bancroft. He's at Nationwide Nolan, and we will talk to you after the Wooden Classic is complete. Until next time.